0: The scripture reading for today is from Philippians chapter 1 verses 12 to 18 and it can be found on page 6 of your bulletin. Philippians 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill.
1: Let's look at this passage briefly in our remaining time together. But first, let's get some help from God. Let's ask him for it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we, would co- we ask that you would come and that you would fill our minds and our hearts because we come to you in so many ways empty, empty of ideas of how to make life work, empty of power to change ourselves or the world. Empty of hope to save ourselves. Our only hope is you, and we only know you because of your word. So, will you please come and open our eyes and speak in a way that helps us to hear you, help us to hear your voice in a compelling and life changing way? Everything we've just prayed is a part of your promise. What you say does happen when we have souls that connect with the word of God, so that gives us confidence that you're going to do something. You're going to do something now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes frustration and even failure lead to greater fruitfulness in the future. Sometimes, unexpectedly, maybe even refreshingly, frustration and failure can lead to fruitfulness in the future. Maybe you have some examples of this principle showing up in your life, maybe now, maybe in the past. I know I do. I remember the quiet embarrassment of receiving rejection letter after rejection letter when applying to college. I finally got into a few schools and while the school itself that I ended up going to provided me with a good education, Later, I could only see from a later vantage point that maybe the most important reason that God might have sent me to that school was because it was there and then that I rediscovered the gospel. Maybe actually became a Christian for the first time and where I also later met my wife. Uh, Of course, if it were up to me, I probably wouldn't have chosen to attend that school. Good thing for those rejections, huh? Maybe. Maybe. I remember the devastating end to a relationship with a girl in college. Speaking of college, I was sure that I was going to marry her, and I was doubled over in physical pain. (laughs) The breakup hurt so bad. And only years later, only years later, after some healing and perspective, did I come to see just how unhealthy that relationship had been and how much, in fact, it had been stunting my emotional and even spiritual growth. Uh, Dare I thank God for a failed relationship? I'm looking at Paula. She might say yes. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes frustration, failure lead to greater, greater fruitfulness in the future, which is the theme of today's passage in Philippians. As we saw last week, Paul opens this letter with deep words of gratitude to the Philippian church in northeastern ancient Greece. Gratitude for their partnership in the gospel. He's thankful for their friendship their fellowship in today's passage He's starting to address one of the main reasons why he's writing them in the first place Paul is writing to encourage the Philippians to lift them up Why because they're in danger of getting discouraged of running out of gas? spiritually and emotionally well you might say why? what's going on well you look in verses 13 14 17 and different places in this passage he makes reference to my chains I am in chains I'm in chains for Christ you see Paul is writing this letter from prison and to be more precise he's not behind bars he's actually under house arrest a chained full-time to a Roman imperial guard, a soldier. He's chained for telling people, probably in the region of Rome, possibly in Ephesus, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And there he's waiting before the guards for trial before Caesar and who knows what the outcome might be most surely the possibility of death lingers before him I mean just gotta imagine what this might be like for the early Christians just barely getting off the ground over the last couple of years you know sort of like getting your MVP injured Uh, like uh, for you basketball fans Kyrie Irving in the last week going down in the NBA finals with a busted kneecap only worse it would have been as if LeBron James himself were out for the season let's hope not let's hope not it'd be devastating for the Cleveland Cavaliers devastating for sports fans some of them (laughs) the founder of their church the Apostle Paul their spiritual father the great missionary the leader of this grand movement of the gospel in the ancient world suddenly knocked out suddenly in chains, suddenly facing death. And you could almost hear them saying, what has happened to him surely has served to depress the gospel or to set back the gospel or to lead to the failure of the gospel. And then, with these anxious thoughts running through their minds, they read these words in verse 12, Paul writing, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's an amazing perspective. How did Paul's chains advance the gospel, as he says? How did his seeming failure actually turn out as a success? How is this a pattern for how God works in our lives as well? What We find here, and we'll talk about in our remaining minutes, are two principles. Failing with joy and focusing on Christ. First failing with joy. Notice that Paul tells the Philippians that there were two results from his imprisonment. First, in verse 13, he says, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. In other words, unexpectedly, the apostle Paul suddenly has a ripe opportunity to tell people about Jesus. They're witnessing his time with those who are visiting him. They're overhearing his conversations. They are watching his life. They are hearing him pray. Paul suddenly has a captive audience, no pun intended. It wasn't despite his suffering, but rather through his suffering that the gospel was being communicated to a most unlikely group in a most unlikely way, in a most unsearchable fashion. I mean, you have to understand the irony of all this. The Apostle Paul had a grand ambition to take the gospel to the farthest places of the earth. It's actually why we have the book of Romans. He was writing a letter to the early church in the capital city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, Surmising as he was that it would be a great strategy to bring the gospel of Jesus, not just to Rome, but to the whole Roman Empire, and even on to Spain. So he writes this long letter to review for the church there what he believes and teaches and preaches, hoping to solicit their support, not unlike in the way in which we're supporting the Lees in their work in Turkey. It was a missionary letter, this book of Romans. He had every ambition to go, probably imagining himself of walking in the front door of Rome, taking a boat, traveling afar, maybe knocking on the door of Caesar. Who knows what he had in his mind? Do you understand? Paul's dream came true, just not in the way that he ever would have imagined it not in strength, but in suffering, not in power, but in weakness, not as a free man, but as a near slave, a prisoner in chains. But you think about it, how else was the gospel ever going to get in to the recesses of the Praetorian Guard? What strategy would you come up with? Probably not this one, but this is precisely how God, in his wisdom, chose to bring the good news of God's grace to people who otherwise may have had no opportunity to hear it. The gospel was going forth, but secondly, Paul says this in verse 14, Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So the other Christians around Paul, he says, begin to see him being persecuted. They hear about his suffering and they're emboldened to tell others about Jesus. Paul says literally they were persuaded by my chains they heard about his suffering they were moved by his self-sacrificing trust in Christ they were reminded that Jesus is worth it and so they themselves go out and begin to preach the gospel themselves yes the gospel had advanced not in spite of but because of those ugly frustrating undesirable failure ridden chains are you facing frustration today? do you feel chained by a closed door or a circumstance that's just not working out. And you're just sure it must mean that God is against you. Is there maybe something on your heart, something you want to do for God? Or maybe some aspect of the brokenness of the world that you're committed to and that you know is on the heart of God. It is mission. It is a part of the gospel. And yet it's just not working out in the way that you had planned or purposed in your life. Do you feel like you've been failing? Do you feel like you've had every right intention to do good things, maybe even great things, and yet you're sitting there maybe even feeling embarrassed at how little progress you've made? Consider the life and the words of Paul this mysterious statement that he puts before the Philippians to encourage them, this statement that can only be grappled with and understood and lived abided by with the eyes of faith when he says what has happened in his imprisonment has actually served to advance the gospel. Things are not as they appear. In your failures and your frustrations. Because actually, God is doing more than you can dare imagine. You feel stuck behind that closed door. Actually, could it be that that is exactly where God wants you to be? you're wrestling with that blocked goal in a relationship or in your career or in your life but actually God is working all things together for good that embarrassing failure that you don't even want to think about or that makes it hard for you to get up in the morning actually could it be that God is actually writing a different story that might turn out for yours and maybe even someone else's salvation that crushed dream that prayer that God answers with a no again and again actually could it be good news this past week I was talking with someone in our church Who'd been working on a a very time intensive project in another city and it's a project that's actually given them the opportunity to spend extra time in that city with their brother who lives there and it was so encouraging to hear this person say you know that project that I'm there for that I'm working on truth is I don't know it might actually totally fail But I'm okay with that because God's main purpose for this project and God's main purpose for me being there actually may end up being to give me a chance to spend time with my brother. Are you learning to think like that? Are you learning to process and reconfigure and re-relate to your frustrations, your failures, even the potential ones in your life? Because how much energy do we actually put into avoiding those challenges if we're honest with ourselves? Avoiding pain and conflict and hardship and embarrassment, avoiding closed doors and maneuvering ourselves around these very things that God so often uses for your good and for His glory in the advancement of the gospel. And as you think about these things in your life, I'd encourage us to think not only in terms of failures that work out for our own good in the end, but also. Ways they work out for the advancement of the gospel. The way in which you see someone's life being changed because of an unexpected providence in your life. The way someone comes to faith, the opportunities that you have to share good news, the way in which you can embody it in words and in deeds, loving people in their brokenness. Open doors through our chains and the only reason why we can believe this way as Paul can see it this way the first premise to all of this that our chains can have meaning and value and power is the belief that Jesus is unchained the belief that he's on the loose cannot be held back God is in control As teacher and scholar and author Alec Matir writes about this passage, God rules. The pressures of life are the hands of the potter who is also our father. The fires of life are those of the refiner. He does not abandon the perfecting process to others, nor is he ever in his sovereign greatness knocked off course by the malpractice of evil men or by the weakness of good men. God is in control even of your chains. For some of us, the challenge today is to dare to believe that God has us perhaps exactly where he wants us to be, even if he's not doing what we thought he would be doing. That God may be using the very circumstance that you today are most trying to run from or get out of. that we think so often that the way up is the way up not remembering that in God's kingdom the way up is the way down but how do you do that how do you look at things differently like this what starts to change your mind what did it for the Apostle Paul secondly and briefly focusing on Christ It's so easy for this to become a bunch of platitudes, I know. Let's pray through this few, these few minutes here. That the key for Paul, if you look closely, is his passion, even obsession for the person of Jesus. His main goal is that Christ is preached. I mean, just think about how radical that itself is. His main goal is not to get out of prison. His main goal is by any means even in prison. With the chain still on. That God would work his perfect purposes through him. And in him, as we'll see next week. fact you just hear this strange perspective of the apostle worked out as he talks about the fact that sure people are being emboldened to tell more tell others about Christ more and more but a lot of them are doing it with really mixed motives he says some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry and in verse 17 out of selfish ambition not sincerely Supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. We don't know all the details, but what we can kind of piece together is that some people said, Hey man, the big shot is gone. He's on the bench now. Now is my chance to shine. Now, we have a bunch of people that are involved in self-promotion. Yeah, they actually are communicating the true gospel of grace. They're talking about Jesus. But deep in their hearts, Paul points out there's a bit of it that's for personal gain. In fact, some of them are actually sort of cutting Paul down. He says, they are stirring up trouble for me while in chains, literally that expression is, they are afflicting me. Probably they're criticizing him. Probably they're sort of talking smack about his reputation. Maybe they're saying, you know, he was good, but we're kind of here to mop up his mess. We'll do it better than him. We're uh, kind of more effective than him. Publicly sort of bringing him down a few notches. He was wrong here or there. We disagree with him. Veiled attacks. Veiled attacks. And this is the amazing thing, Paul says it doesn't matter as long as Christ is preached. Who talks like that? Who cares about the proclamation of Jesus? Who cares about other people in love that they would know the good news of God's grace so much that they're not even concerned about their own reputation being ruined. That they're not even concerned about themselves being hurt, the very people they've entrusted themselves to, stomping all over them while they're suffering in chains. Who talks like that? Who thinks like that? Who has this kind of focus? on the glory and the gospel of Jesus, but someone whose life has been transformed by that Jesus. Even in verse 13, we're told by Paul, he says, I am in chains for Christ, and that's a good translation he is in chains for Christ persecuted for standing with Christ for telling others about Christ for offending people with the gospel message in the ancient world but that can also be translated I am in chains in Christ I'm suffering together with him Christ suffering with me and I with him because Paul knows the story of the one who gave up everything and put himself in complete eternal bondage on the cross, not as an accident or an unfortunate suffering circumstance, but voluntarily dying in our place for our salvation. Christ who suffered for Paul for all those who would embrace him. Christ who took the hit to his reputation and did not retaliate. Christ who loved and loved and loved. Christ who walked this earth and looked like a pauper, a forgettable person, while Actually, he was the King of glory. Uh, Christ who looked on the cross as one who was rejected by God when actually he actually was purchasing for us the forgiveness of all of our sins. Christ who appeared as if God's purposes and plans did not work had failed as the Messiah himself had died when actually he would rise again that he might give life and salvation to all who would embrace him Christ who looked like the epitome of failure and frustration and blocked goals when actually he is our Savior. He is our King. He is our Messiah. He is the lover of our souls. God unchained and on the loose for his good and glorious purposes in your life. He's the ultimate scenario of things not being as they appear. The story of Jesus unexpectedly and surprisingly revealing to us, love untold, the story of God's salvation. Have you encountered him in this way? Do you see your sufferings in connection with the sufferings of Christ? Do you know his love for you personally? One thing that strikes me in this passage is the way that Paul talks, not about the idea of Christianity, not about the the mission even in the abstract. This is my hard work to change the world for this mission. How personally he talks about Jesus four or five times in verse 13, 14, 15, 17, 18. He says, I preach Christ I'm telling you about a person that I love because he has so loved me. If you want to begin to see life through a different lens, facing even failures with joy and with hope and expectation, believing that God can really redeem. Even the deepest frustrations and pains and chains in our lives. We must first look to Christ, focusing on Him, letting His love change our hearts, our lives. Do you know Him in this way? Do you know the stories of apparent-seeming failure in this way? Do you know the story of the cross in this way? Sometimes, sometimes do you know frustration and even failure lead to greater fruitfulness in the future. What if we believed that today? Let's pray. And so we're asking that you would come and send your spirit And give us more of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and let's sing.